All right. All right. Welcome, as everybody has already said. Welcome to Potential Church. We are humbled and glad to see you. Um, Pastor Brian's going to help me this weekend. Going to kind of, yeah, give it up for Pastor Brian. Um, and we're going to continue the series that we've uh, started last weekend, talking about the, the one voice, talking about Jeremiah. And Jeremiah has spent 28 chapters warning the people of God that if they didn't make a change, if they didn't turn back to God, good things were not going to happen. Now, they didn't believe him. It's kind of like this. Why in the world do you and I continue to eat brownies? They're awesome. <laughs> they are. They're right? awesome. awesome. That's why I eat them. The brownies, are especially um, <laughs> the Little Debbie brownies. You guys like the Little oh. Debbie brownies with the nuts on the top? But anyways, I, I get this um, distracted. Uh, 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 <laughs> but anyway, why do we eat them? We eat them because the moment you eat a brownie, if you run into the scale, you're not immediately more pounds, are you? And so there's a tendency to think, you know, maybe I'm the exception. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, we, 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 it's the same way with like heart disease. You eat the brownie and you don't immediately think, oh, I'm getting clogged up. Right? It's when we don't immediately get the consequences of our actions. We start to assume, and the longer it takes, the bigger assumption we make that it's not going to happen. Well, that's exactly what happened here. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, God has told me to tell you that you are going to be taken captive. And here's the, here's the, here's the amazing thing. Some of them were. You've probably heard of Daniel, Shaq, Rack, and Benny if you watch VeggieTales, all right? And they were taken captive, and yet the nation didn't turn. But it really shouldn't surprise us because we do see people that eat brownies have to get bigger belts, don't they? And we do see people who eat brownies who end up having to have some kind of heart surgery done. And yet we continue to eat the brownies, just like the people in the book of Jeremiah. Well, in 597, what Jeremiah said was going to happen eventually happened. The Babylonians were sent in and they destroyed everything. They took down um, Jerusalem, they ransacked the temple, and uh, they took not all, but the majority of the people uh, captive in Babylonia. And, you know, and they weren't kind to them. They weren't nice to them. Um, it was a very, very difficult time. And so what Pastor Brian and I want to do is we want to talk about what do you do when that happens? Because there are probably some of us here that feel as if we've been taken captive by a job that we don't like. It, all of a sudden, you, you just like you can't get out of it, but you don't enjoy it. Maybe it's a city that you don't enjoy living in. I don't know which campus that you're at, but I know I've been in South Florida for 17 years. And when you ask people, do you like South Florida? Yeah, a lot of people say they don't, but they're here. Everybody wants to come here, but nobody likes they don't it when stay. they're here. Yeah. They don't want to stay. They just want to visit. That's it. Um, but, yeah, so I, I just, um, you may feel that. You, it may literally be in prison, watching on television, or maybe in a halfway house, or find yourself in some kind of addiction. Whatever it is, you really feel that just like the Jews in the time of Jeremiah, you feel that you are being held captive. What do you do? How do you handle that? How do you get out of that? What are you supposed to do when you're there? Pastor and Brian and I are going to try to answer some of those questions according to what Jeremiah had to say about it. That's right. There's four big questions. I put them there in your outline. If you received an outline when you came in, all of our campuses, take some notes today. 
want to encourage you to do that. And as we always tell you, bring your Bibles if you would and uh, take some notes. We want to give you something you didn't have when you came in. Now, I want to start off by saying there's four big questions you're going to ask in captivity. You feel like you're trapped. You feel like you're never going to get out. Here's the first one, if you would. Please fill it in. You may have this question, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did this, this happen? How many of you have a GPS in your car? Raise your hand. You have a GPS in your car or your phone? Okay. Now, how many of you, have you ever driven on the road and GPS tells you to go a certain direction and you go, no? <laughs> you ever argue with your GPS? No. Like, you have no idea where this place, right? You're, you're going, oh, I know a shortcut. I know the, I know the easy way to get there. Or, you know, that's going to take me through too much traffic. And you, you second guess your GPS and you make a wrong turn. And then you make another wrong turn, and you find yourself in a neighborhood you've never been in before, and you're like, how did I get here? What? I, because you argued with the GPS, right? It wasn't that you made some kind of catastrophic error along the way and chose a different city. It's gradual, isn't it? One wrong turn. One bad decision. You start chaining those together, and before you know it, you're in the middle of nowhere. That's kind of, you know, I, I, always, I share this story. Now, my, my wife asked me not to share it, but I'm going to share it. It's one of those stories. That's not so a good thing. Not a good story. But <laughs> it's not a good thing, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Here it is. Uh, several years ago, we were, we were kind of in the early stages of our marriage. My wife decided she was going to, well, we went on a canoeing trip. And uh, my wife convinced me that she had canoed before. <laughs> She'd been to kids camp or something that she canoed before. Now, if you've ever been on a canoe, you know the person in the front of the canoe does the steering and the person in the back does the paddling. Well, I was kind of a canoe rookie. So she said, you know what, I'll steer. I'll sit in the front of the boat, you sit in the back of the boat, you be the muscle, and I'll be the aggravator. I mean, the navigator, not the nag. I call her the aggravator in the car when she tells me where to go. Anyway, that's another thing I'm going to get in trouble for. I wasn't supposed to say. Anyway, so we're going down the, down the river, and right in the middle of the, you know, we get, put the canoe in the water. She's steering us along, and I'm paddling, and uh, we get down there. And, you know, we're starting perfectly right in the middle of the river. And before long, you know, I find myself, we're starting to get closer and closer to the side, to the trees that are kind of overhanging this little river. And I'm like, honey, um, we're, we're drifting a little bit here. You're, you're making some bad steering choices. And she's like, just be quiet. I know what I'm doing. So she's, we're, I'm paddling and she's steering. And before long, what starts to happen is we're, we're going underneath these, these overhanging trees and spiders start jumping in, dropping into the boat from the trees. So my wife does what, she, what any adventurer would do. She, starts to tur she turns around in the canoe and starts beating the spiders with the oar, trying to kill them. Well, the boat's shaking, water's coming in. I think I'm, this is it. This is how it's going to end. I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm good night, everybody. And uh, so anyway, so we, we keep going. And uh, so I said, you know what, here's, here's my brilliant solution. I said, honey, you keep steering. I'll kill the spiders with my oar. Sounds like a good idea. Well, as I'm saying that and I'm arguing with her and I'm reaching behind me, I turn around and not even two seconds later, whack, she'd steered us into a low-hanging branch, hitting me in the forehead, and I was out cold in the canoe, laying there in the canoe unconscious, and to make matters worse, Pastor, those spiders that were in the canoe, all over my face. She I can't just, imagine why she didn't want you to tell she her story. I know, it's so enlightening, isn't it? <laughs> Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. It wasn't one bad decision that got us in that mess. It was a series of them. Maybe the first one, letting my wife steer. Maybe, theoretically. <laughs> it's group therapy. We're good. We're good. We're good. But maybe it was the, the steering choices. Maybe it was that I wasn't paddling right. Maybe we hadn't, didn't have experience down the river. It was just a string of bad decisions. And we found ourselves in a place where we're like, how did we get here? And for the rest of the trip, I had a big red scar right in the middle of my forehead. So I thought it would be better I'd put a Band-Aid over it, and it was not good. Uh, but you ask yourself that question. You know, the, when the, the Jews were in captivity, they're, they're in Babylon. They've been taken and held captive. 
the Bible tells us that the Babylonians were telling them reasons maybe why they were there. In fact, if you would, it's in your outline, verses 8 and 9 there of Jeremiah 29. It says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now you can imagine the Babylonians are telling all these captives, hey, by the way, you're going to be here a long time. Your God has forgotten you. You're here because you're just, you're just a failure to him. He doesn't, all these lies. God says, hey, don't, don't listen to them. They didn't, I did not send them. Don't listen to the lies. You ever hear that voice before? You ever find yourself held captive by something and you're like, how did I get here? And all the whispers you hear from, your, from people around you are like, well, you deserve it. You're never getting out of this. You're always going to feel this bad. The valley you find yourself in, the handcuffs you're wearing, they're going to be there forever. We can, we can get quickly caught up in those same lies. Some of us are going through our third divorce. We're like, how did I get here? An addiction. Whatever's holding you back. Finances. I don't know what, what is there, but we've got to be careful not to believe the lies that we hear. It's, it's not just one decision that put us there. It's a series of bad ones. And then we find ourselves in a place we never thought we'd be. I put this in your outline. Please fill it in. The world will lie and tell you that God doesn't care. People will tell you, by the way, the reason you are where you are, the reason you have failed in this portion of your life, the reason you feel like you're in captivity is because you know what? Your loving God doesn't care about you anymore. And like we talked about just a minute ago, we know those are lies. God does care. Deuteronomy 31.8, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be what? All of our campuses, he will be what? He will be with you. With you. Not conditionally with you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Notice what this verse does not say. When you're doing well in life, he will be with you. It doesn't say that if you're, uh, if you're, if you're on top of your game, he will be with you. It doesn't say if you have X number of dollars in the bank, he will be with you. It says what? He will be with you even when you're in captivity, even when you're being held down, even when the world's lying to you and saying that God has abandoned you, he'll be with you. Never forget that. Man, we, we can get caught up in the lies. I put this in your notes. God is with us even when we steer off course. When it's us that caused us to derail like that, when it's us that caused our, our canoe to go off the river, even when we caused it through a series of bad decisions, God says, you know what? I'm not leaving you by yourself. I'm going to be with you. So we want to get our lives back on track, get realigned with God's plan. I wrote a couple things in my notes. We need to realize, first of all, that we're off course, that the spiders are dropping in the boat. Things are not working out like they should be. Second thing is we have to understand, hey, I have to, I have to get back on track here. I'm misaligned with God's plan. And the third thing is this, to remember that we don't have to do it alone. That no matter how hard the struggle is, you are not by yourself. God is with you even in captivity. The second thing, uh, question, once you say, okay, how I got here, and if you look in your notes is, what am I supposed to do now that I'm here? And, and when you write the word in here, this is the most difficult part of what Pastor Brian and I were talking about, is taking ownership for being here, mm -hmm. okay? So, you know, last week when we talked about, hopefully, 
reminding and inspiring you that you were created to succeed. God's picked you. He's chosen you. He's knit you in your mother's womb. And then as we try to figure that out, it's important to realize, okay, I feel like I'm being held captive, but I'm here because of, a, of some decisions I've made. And, and once you take that ownership, then you're able to see what God's doing as, in that process. Until you get there, you just find yourself arguing or blaming, right? I'm here because of my parents. I'm here because I married an idiot. I'm here because I got an idiot boss. I'm here because I was created with a tendency toward addiction. I'm here. There's a lot of ways to blame. And if you blame, if I blame, then I'm never going to live the destiny. Just because you're being held captive doesn't mean we're going to discover that you'll never live your destiny. So what am I supposed to do when I'm here? Well, he tells them in verses 5 to 7. Right? Remember chapter 29, it has happened. And Jeremiah's, it all changes. He goes from kind of gloom and doom to now he's encouraging them. He's, God is telling him to tell them that even though they're being held captive, that they shouldn't give up hope. Now, he says, here's what you need to do. Build homes, plan to stay. Underline that, plan to stay. Plant gardens, eat the food they produce. Marry, have children. Find spouses for them so that you may have Many grandchildren, multiply, don't dwindle away, and work for peace, the prosperity of the city where, what's the next word? I sent. I, right, I, I. Notice that. Notice that. God says, you pray for the city where I sent you into exile. Pray the Lord, uh, to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Here's what, here's what I wrote in my notes. What they did was not God's will. They didn't listen to Jeremiah, just as you and I are often guilty, as Pastor Brian said, to not listening to the GPS, not listening to the scripture, not listening to those God has placed in our path to share um, or to challenge us. So what they did wasn't God's will, but here's what I wrote down. Where they were was God's will. That's the great comfort that you can take. Okay, what you and I do is not God's will. So it wasn't God's will that they end up in Babylon, but the fact that they were in Babylon was God's will the moment they decided not to do God's will. You got that? <laughs> All right? And that, that, that's important. Because if not, here's what I wrote. So what do you do while you're here? Stop trying to get back to Jerusalem. Because that's what most of us do. The moment we get into a place we don't want to be, what do you spend all of our time doing? Trying to get out of it. Yep. i got to get out of this job. i got to get out of this college. I've got to get out of this city. I've got to get out of this marriage. I've got to get out of this halfway house. I've got to get out. I've got to get back to where I was so that I can live the dream that's in my heart. And what does God say? He says, stop it. Stop trying to get back to Jerusalem. The problem is not that you're not in Jerusalem. Remember, I'm the King of kings, the Lord of lords, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. The problem is not that you're not in Jerusalem. The problem is that there's something in you that needs to be transformed. And so the focus doesn't need to be on getting back to Jerusalem. The focus needs to be on being transformed. That's hard to do. Yep. I mean, think about it, man. When you get into a situation, you're in a job, you man, I got to find a new job. You're scanning the paper. You're, you're calling folks, hey, new opportunity. You spend all of your time trying to get out from where God has placed you. Because he, as Pastor Brian said, cares enough about us that he still wants us to accomplish the dream for which we were created. He still wants us to live out 
uh, our purpose. So, so, so what do we do? This is, this is what I wrote. God wants to do something in you, in that job that you don't like, in that marriage that's really difficult, in that business where your supervisor is just making life really difficult. God wants to do something in you, but not just in you. God also wants to do something through you. That's right. And that's very important because we live in a world where the tendency is to focus where? On us. I was talking to our staff team this week, right? Uh, who does a selfie focus on? Me. Right? I got to take, it's like even if you see a celebrity, it's no good just to take a picture of the celebrity, right? You've got to be in the celebrity. And, and so what God wants to do in us to prepare us to go back to Jerusalem, to be able to, in, to, to get free from the job you don't like or the situation that you're struggling in, is we got to, he wants to do something in me and he wants to do something through me. And, and here's, because, and this is so cool, think about this. They didn't end up in Babylon because God determined it. And, and what I mean by that is God didn't determine for them not to hear his word and not respond to it. But they did end up in Babylon um, the moment they decided to be disobedient. In other words, God said, you're not going to end up over in Egypt or you're going to end up in Babylon. Why? Because God was going to use their disobedience to transform them and reach the people of Babylon at the same time. That's right. So the question for me and you is while I'm here, what, what, am I, uh, what am I supposed to do while I'm here? Is to allow God to transform me and then, uh, and then that transfer, uh, transformation moves me to impact the people around me. That's why if you look in your notes, we put just live intentionally. Live intentionally. The Jews chose to disobey, but God chose that Babylonia is where he would set up a beach, a beachhead. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm not about to move you out of here. He says, I want you to reach the people of Babylonia. I want you to have kids and grandkids. I want you to have a job. In other words, you don't like the job you're in, but God's saying, hey, look around to the people that are around you. Look around to the city of the people you live. Look around at the college. Look, I have placed you where you're at in order to transform you, but where you're at is not by accident. God wants to reach the people where you and I are through us and then live prayerfully, well, which again does what? To pray for those who are around me, to pray for, the, for my boss, to pray for my spouse, to pray for, um, you know, the, the jailer if I find myself in prison. It does what? It takes focus off me and it puts it on other people. And then we put in your outline, we may not be in control of our circumstances, and I'm sure that's the way the Jews felt. How did we end up here? Where is God? How could God let this happen to his people in the midst of the evilness of the Babylonians? All right? I'm sure that's the way they felt. But we are to control the choices we make going through them. So, you, so I have a choice. I can run and spend the rest of my days trying to get out from underneath or away from the place that I'm in. Or I can see what God wants to do in my life and um, see whether or not I'm transforming the lives of the people around me. I, I was thinking um, about this. In my life, Steph's life, this is the way this kind of worked. When we moved here <clears throat> 17 years ago, you know, we left 
a church that we had started. We had built three or four times. We had went from 12 in a living room to hundreds of people who were attending. Um, we had, went from zero kids. We, when we got ready to move, we had three kids. Bailey was a month old, I think. Stephanie desired to be home with the children. And we had positioned ourselves so she could stay home with the children. We had just bought our first house. When we moved here, we moved into a mobile home. And, and Stephanie had to go back to work. She had to drop the Bailey, who was a month old, off at somebody's house to take care of her. And, you know, we had to pay for it. And, and we didn't know who they were. We, we came to a church that didn't know who we were. I, I came and did... Um, young adults where there was no budget and there was no staff. We had grown from 12 to enough to have a staff and have a budget in Arkansas. Now I say all that to say this. We loved where we were, but we didn't love what we were in. It was difficult. Yep. It was in the, you know, if you've never been to Arkansas, let me just tell you, it's different than South Florida. <laughs> Especially small town Paragold, Arkansas, okay? You know, and and so here's what we did. We focused on, not on getting out, not on moving up. Didn't focus on getting, I didn't come here to be the lead pastor. I came here to learn. You know what we focused on? We focused on what God had put in front of us. And what he had put in front of us was those young adults. And so we started the young adult service. We went to Sam's and young adults, some of them had babies. We didn't have anybody to work in the nursery. We just moved here, didn't know anybody, didn't have any staff. So Steph and I went to Sam's. We'd do the service and then we bought a tent with money we didn't have. I put it on a credit card. And, and then we put up the tent to try to make the kids feel like they were out in the wilderness somewhere. In other words, we, just, we focused on where we were. And as long as we were not focused on ourselves, God was doing something in us, and he used us to do something in the people around us, and he allowed us to get back to Jerusalem. That's good. And I am convinced that had we spent the whole time trying to figure out how to get a promotion, how to get out of young adults, out of the parking lot, out of what, uh, to a bigger home, all of those things, we would still be having to learn those lessons. And, and so I, I just encourage, why are you, <clears throat> why are you there? Why are you there? You're there to learn. You, 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 you're there to be transformed. Stop trying to get back to Jerusalem. That's great. And I, I remember that whole, I was young enough to be in the young adults <laughs> back then. So it felt pretty good. You're Thanks. still young adults. Thanks for Pastor putting up the Brian. tent. Uh, appreciate that. I mean, what, what, that's powerful. I mean, just knowing... Because so many of us are trying to get out from under the weight. You know, I was reading a story about a guy who was, uh, you know, he had a big rock in the middle of his street. And he said he wanted, he was trying to get somebody to come out and remove the rock. And God told him to go out there every day and try to just shove, just push all your weight against the rock. And he would do that. The first day he did it, you know, and nothing. The rock wouldn't move, gigantic rock. Second day he went out there, pushed it. Months went by every day going out there and moving the rock. He's saying, God, when's the rock going to move? And God says, look at yourself in the mirror. And by that point, he'd already built, he was all cut. He was all muscular, and, and God told him that rock wasn't there to be moved. That rock was to build you. And I think, man, so many times in our lives we push against the rock hoping to get it out of the way when actually that rock was put in the, in the way to build, to build our strength. So that's, that's a great, great, great point. Uh, look at number three. This is another selfish question, but we ask it all the time. Here it is. Why is it taking so long? I'm sure you might have asked that question. You're, you know, you're there in Arkansas, and you're transformed here. It's like... When is God going to step in here? When are things going to change? When am I finally going to be free of the captivity? And as we just talked about, the goal isn't freedom of the captivity. The goal is to develop within the captivity. 
and figure out while we're there. But, but we ask the question all the time, why is this taking so long? Now, God's people, as we read through this chapter in Jeremiah, God's people had it pretty easy because Jeremiah said to them, in fact, we can read it, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for how long? 70 years. You're going to be there for 70 years. In fact, Pastor just talked about it. You're going to have kids and grandkids, and you're going to, you know, a whole generation is going to pass. And then once that happens, what's going to happen? If you keep reading, God says, I'm going to step in and move them away, and you're going to get to go back home. We don't have that same luxury, do we? How long are you going to be in your dead-end job? How long are you going to be struggling in your finances? How long is your marriage going to be sour? How, if we only knew, if God would just kind of tell us, hey, hang in there, Pastor, for three more weeks, this is going to get better. It would be easy, wouldn't it? I mean, easier. Because we would know there's a, there's a constraint to it. There's a time frame to it. But do we know that? I talk to a lot of people that say, I, I can't keep doing this. I'm in captivity. I'm trapped. Pastor, just give me the secret formula. Just give me the shortcut. Just give me the magic words and, and move that rock out of the way. And I just don't, I can't, there's no time, I don't know what to tell them. There's no specific time frame for transformation. Don't you wish God would give you one, though? You wake up one morning, I only got two more weeks. Two more weeks, my finances are going to be in shape. I can't wait. We'd get excited. we have this financial breakthrough day. We'd wear party hats and invite our friends over. And today's a day I'm released from captivity from my credit card bills. We just don't know. We just don't know. So what do we do? We ask the question over and over, the same question that your kids ask you on long trips. You know the question, right? Are we what? All of our campuses, are we there yet? Right, over and over. Are we there yet, God? Are we there yet? Is it time yet? Are you ready to get me out of here yet, God? Are we there yet? Can we make this happen yet, God? When are you going to take the weight off me, God? When am I finally going to be back on track with your plan, God? When is this going to feel better, God? Are we there yet? God, are we there we ask that question all the time. You ever have, you ever kids ever ask that question on long trips? No. Never. No, they're great kids. <sighs> okay. Um. Stephanie asked it, though. Stephanie asked <laughs> it, Stephanie so there you go. I <laughs> <laughs> wasn't expecting that, but I like it. I like it. Here's, here's the answer God is always going to give you. Here it is. Ready? Write it down somewhere. It's all free. Here it is. You will be moved to a different position. Things will lighten up. Things will change. God always answers the question like this. It'll change when you're ready. It will change when you're ready. That's not the answer you wanted to hear, is it? <laughs> God, come on, you can do this, God. You're all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere at one time. He's like, yes, I am. But you're not ready for a change yet. You're not ready for transformation yet. You're not ready to have the rock removed yet. I'm still working on you in captivity. I put down three things in your notes. I want to ask if you would write these things down. In captivity, we can have three things to kind of keep in mind. Maybe you're there because God wants you to fill this in. He wants you to learn. What truth is God trying to teach me while I'm in captivity? For example, we drift from God's plans in our finances. You know, we're, 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 we're kind of sailing along here. We're not connecting. We're like, why, is my, why are my finances in a bad shape? And then we, we learn that finances and financial success is connected to generosity. Now, we learn that lesson, and we learn the power of the tithe and the power of obedience with our finances, but yet we still find ourselves there in captivity with our money. We, we learn a lesson, but we don't apply it. And God says, I want you to learn that. Or we feel like, hey, my life should be so much more. I'm struggling with fulfillment. I don't feel like my life is really getting me anywhere anymore. I just want to meet other people and connect. And we say, great, join a connect group. 
great, serve in a ministry. And we learn these things here in God's house, and we, but if we don't do anything with them, God says, I'm going to let you stay in captivity a little bit longer. God loves us so much, have you caught this yet, that if you fail a test, guess what happens? He gives it to you again and again and again and again. And there's a reason why you say, man, this church, oh, man, they have so many connect groups. They have so much opportunity to grow. I know that I'm supposed to tithe my money, but yet I find myself in captivity. Why is this not changing? God says, hey, while you're in captivity, I want you to learn. And until you get the lesson, he's going to keep you there. Sometimes it's learning those lessons is hard. It requires adjustments. And right, here's the second thing I wrote in the notes. It's trust. Maybe we need to learn while we're held in captivity, maybe we need to learn to trust God more. Maybe we need, I'm not, the, what I wrote in your notes is my lack of faith causing me to stay here. A lot, you know, a lot of us pray if prayers. If God, if you can save my marriage, if you can help my, my finances, if you can change my family, if, 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 and God says, hey, until you start asking bigger, bolder prayers, I'm going to leave you right where you are. We live wimpy prayer lives. We, we, we say if all the time. If God, if you can do this. And God says, I want you to say when. When this happens, God, I'm going to give you the glory for it. When my life changes, because you did it, God, not because I did it. Not if. We spend time wandering around the wilderness going, man, if God, if you can save this, if you can change that. And God says, I want you to pray boldly. And until you get this down, until your faith grows and you can pray those bold when prayers, I'm going to leave you right there. That's what I want you to learn in captivity. There's one more I put in your notes. It's, it's the word is obey. Now, it's not a word we like to write, obey, right? Obedience. But obedience is so, it's so incredibly important. And here's the question. Is my disobedience keeping me from breakthrough? Is my disobedience keeping me from breakthrough? You could phrase it maybe a little differently. Is my disobedience keeping me in captivity? For example... We want to have a great relationship. We want to have an amazing marriage, but yet we move in together. We, we short-circuit what God wants us to do. God says, hey, don't do that. I get, people come and ask me all the time, Pastor, will you bless our, our relationship? We're dating. Will you bless that? We just moved in together. Will you bless that? I'm like, you know what? You're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> God's not going to bless disobedience. God's not going to say, hey, you know what? You're the exception. I'm going to rescue you out of captivity. I'm going to move the boulder in your way just because you're a good person. and I, He loves you, but he wants you to learn. He wants you to trust, and he wants you to obey. I want to have a closer walk with God. I hear that all the time. I want to have a closer walk with God. I feel distant from God, yet I don't want to get baptized. The first thing God asks us to do, ah, you know what, no, can't do it. Not feeling it. Not worthy, not worthy of getting into the water. God says, hey, I want to I get you out of captivity. I want to release you, but you got to work on that obedience. And like I said from the beginning, if we don't get this right, guess what happens? We get tested again and again and again. Is that because he's cruel? No. Why do you repeat the same lessons to your children? Because you love them. The captivity you find yourself in, the struggle that you're finding yourself in, is it learning, is it trust, is it obedience? I don't know what it is for you. But I know the reason that you're going through it is to build you. And again, not just for you. Pastor said it so well just a couple minutes ago. It's not to build you. It's that God can work through you to change the world and to develop you way beyond any ability you think you have. So trust, obedience, 
and to learn together. I put this in your notes. We can't expect new chances by making old choices. We got to make some changes. We want a fresh start. I want to break free of captivity. I want another chance, God. And God says, great, start making some different choices. You know, the definition of insanity, repeating the same action again and again, expecting different results. Some of us are in captivity. We're wondering, why aren't I moving? Because God is teaching us a lesson there and in Babylon. We've got to seek his heart, and we've got to follow him with everything we have in us to grow. So write down like, what are those changes that you need to make. I mean, because you know. I mean, you, 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 if you think about that we can't expect ch uh, uh, chances by making old choices. Right. So what are the choices? What, what, what is that? I think it's good sometimes to write it down and to look at it and be reminded uh, th this is what needs to change in my life. You know, I need to quit eating the brownies. I need to quit eating the brownies and whatever the brownies are in your I life. I didn't write that one down. <laughs> That's uh, not there. It's, those, uh, are, those are pretty good. If you run, exercise enough, there I guess it's not a bad decision. Like it. Write this down. Last point. Does God have a plan to rescue? And, and, I, I, and, and here's the way I want you to think about rescue. To restore. And what I mean by that is to, 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 to get you into um, an environment and where it feels that you're, you know, you can see the purpose. There's a sense of alignment. God is um, working in your life even when we're in captivity. But how do you get back to Jerusalem? Does he want you to get back to Jerusalem? Well, let's look at what he says. This is the verse that you've probably heard if you've hung out at Potential very long. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good. They're not disaster to give you a future and a hope. So God does say he has a plan. Now remember, he told them this when they were probably doubting it. And why were they doubting it? Because they were in captivity and they were going to be there for a while. And God is reassuring them, what you're feeling is not what is. In other words, you feel that I have abandoned you, but in reality, I am actively at working in you. Right. James says, count it all joy when you find yourself in the midst of trials. Why? Because God is at work in you. Hebrews chapter 11 says that God... Uh, disciplines his kids. If you don't get disciplined, he says you're illegitimate. So, so it's this whole idea, God has a plan, but the plan is not for whoa out there. The plan is, is for what he wants to do in our lives right now. So let, let's talk about that. God will use, first of all, your broken pieces to, sorry about that, That's all right. something stronger <laughs> and more beautiful. God will use your broken pieces to build something stronger and more beautiful. Um, so God has a plan for where we are, and God has a plan for where he's taking it. So if you think about whether it be your bad job, the difficult college situation, the, incredible, the struggling marriage, or the financial challenge that you're faced, um, is God building something in you, right? God will take the broken pieces to build something stronger and more beautiful. So let me ask you, is God building something beautiful in you? So, well, I, don't, I hope, I don't know. Let me give you a... Um, a way in which you can evaluate that, okay? Is, is he using you to build something beautiful in others? Because you can look and see. Are you building something beautiful in the folks at work? You hate your job? Are you building something beautiful in the people you work with? Say, no, I'm not doing that. Then God's not yet transformed you. 
It's good. Because when you and I are transformed, our focus is no longer on how do we get out of this situation, but how can God use me in this situation? And in his timing, then he takes us back to Jerusalem. But he's not taking us back to Jerusalem until he's done doing the work in us, as Pastor Brian said. And the way to evaluate that is to ask yourself, is God doing something beautiful in the people around you? Is he doing something beautiful at the college you find yourself in? Is he doing something beautiful at the halfway house you find yourself in? Is he doing something beautiful in the people around you and the financial struggle that you're facing? If everybody around you is as frustrated as you are because you struggle financially and you take it out on everybody, listen, God's still not done something in you. Just because you and I proclaim that God's done a work in our life doesn't mean that he has. There's always evidences of that. So is there something beautiful? in the people around you that God has done that God has done through you look what the scripture says in verse 14 he says I will be uh, I will be found by you says the Lord I will end your captivity restore your fortunes I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land is that good news it is isn't it what's he saying I'm going to take you to your destiny I'm going to allow you to live your purpose. That dream that's been in your heart that you feel like you've screwed up maybe because of where you find yourself today. He says, you know what? I'm God and there is no way that anyone can keep you from what I put into your heart. I'm going to take you to that. That's That's incredibly good news. But what, again, the secret to that in your outline, look at things now through the lens of, of what's coming later. And this is what I wrote beside it. God hasn't forgotten the dream. That is why you are here. But part of the preparation is for the dream is in you and through you. Last three things. And this kind of wraps up everything we've talked about. What's the real practical, pragmatic process in which um, to walk through this? The first thing is to reset your direction. And here's, here's what I mean by this. What does it mean to reset your direction? Repent. It's a Bible word, repent. You know what the word repent means? Change of mind that leads in a change of direction. You know what? Let me express repent to you in a different way. It's to agree with God about your sin. You will never get out of captivity until you have the courage, till I have the courage to agree with God and how I got here. Now, that doesn't mean that, it, we, that some of the challenges that we face are always the result of sin in our lives. Daniel was in captivity as well, and yet he lived an obedient life. But, but repentance begins with this willingness to agree. Hey, God, you know what? I've made some bad decisions. I've not listened to the GPS. I've been disobedient, and maybe it's in an area that I feel was small and didn't think it was that big a deal. It was just one little small brownie, right? And I can't believe that one brownie would add this much weight. But the reality is, until I'm willing to admit that the weight I've put on is because of the brownies I've eaten, I will never get healthy. It begins there. Yep. And that's where some, so many times I can tell you in my own life, isn't it hard to humble yourself enough? It's not anybody else's fault that I'm struggling the way I am. It's not the world, right? We live in a culture today where it's, we're going to protest everything because it's everybody else's fault for where I am. And that's not, a, that's not what the scripture teaches. 
It's coming to a point where we're saying, okay, I'm going to reset, and then I'm going to switch the order of these two, all right? The next thing I think we have to do is resurrect our dream. Yep. Because I think then we are able to restore our passion. Resurrect the dream. In other words, don't give up on the dream. See, here's the great thing about God. Just because I've screwed up doesn't mean I won't live my destiny. Right? I mean, isn't that awesome? I mean, in so many other areas of life, it's not like that. You screw up and then you kind of get pushed to the side. When you and I screw up, God may allow us to go into captivity, but the only reason he does is to transform us so that we can accomplish what he originally put inside of our heart. And so I'm going to restore that dream that's in my heart. I was thinking about that as I was preparing um, this week. And um, how, how does God, you know, how, how does God do that? How does he restore and, and renew? And um, I, I want to, I, I guess, challenge you this week. We wrote it down last week, but this week is to take some time and to think about, you know, what that dream is and then how God is um, going to bring it about. When I got called into ministry, I've told you before, I didn't plan on doing this. I wanted to be a coach. Played basketball in high school, played in college, I played overseas. I dreamed of coaching. I prepared for coaching. I've got books on coaching. I've got offenses and defenses. I've got drills to, to, to run that have never been drilled. Um, it's, it's not what I planned. But then when God began to work in our lives, me and Steph tapped me on the shoulder, and I began to, to dream, okay, what is this ministry going to look like, you know? And I wanted to be a part of, of something, all right, that was, um, I remember always thinking this, I want to see things happen in this life like they happen in the Scripture. You know, like they saw 3,000 people. I wanted to see 3,000 people um, get baptized. I, I want to see hungry get fed. I, I want to see lives transformed. I want to see the church grow and impact the culture. And Steph and I, as I share with you, started that church. And, and then we moved to Little Rock. We felt God was calling us to do that. And that didn't go very well. They promised to help us start a church, the denomination. They did, decided not to, basically kind of got fired. And, um, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, it's in those moments that it's so easy to give up on that dream. And then, when, like I told you, we came here, and I didn't come here to be lead pastor of a large church. I came here to do something that nobody was doing, to start a ministry that they didn't have. Basically, and what I really did the majority of was, in, was work in the parking lot weekend and, and, and week out. And on Sunday night, we'd have a service when nobody was here. Uh, and, and so you're fighting, right, in that moment to hang on to the dream. Have I, have I done something wrong? What is that? Can I, I want to confess that. I want to get that because I want to see. I, I, I want to see, right? That dream is something you see in your mind. It's something you see in your heart. And then, um, 
as I shared with you a moment ago, I remember the days when I would go home and be, you know, in that mobile home. I'm a pretty big guy. So when you walk in a mobile home, you hear yourself walk. And I, I remember going into the bedroom, jumping on the bed, and again, you can hear it. And I just, I, I, you know, just what do you, what do, you do? And maybe you, this sense of failure, this sense of captivity. And the only thing I ever walked away from that with is, is that I'm not going to give up. You know, I'm not, I'm going to keep believing that God put something in my heart, and because he put that in my heart, it's going to be accomplished. And I could have never guessed how God was going to work all that out, but I, but I will tell you this, that I have been able to see over 3,000 uh, people, <clears throat> uh, you know, get baptized. I've seen over, I think, 4,000 folks in one weekend walk forward and trust Christ to be their Savior. I have seen us rebuild an orphanage. I have seen us build a kitchen and then feed the hungry. I mean, I, I, I've seen all of those things. And I believe that whatever the dream is in your heart, if you will persevere and let God do in you what he wants to, that you will see those dreams as well. That's right. But nobody can make that choice for you, right? <clears throat> so would you bow your head? With your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Pastor Brian and I have done the best that we can to share our hearts, really. We all go through these times of captivity because we all make decisions. Not listening to the GPS. It's so easy to think you know better or to think you're the exception. The brownies are always calling. And then it's easy to just give up. decision would you do that right where you're sitting whatever campus that you're at don't give up maybe you need to tell your spouse maybe your best friend maybe you just need to write it down on the back of your Bible I'm not giving up I will one day see the dream that God has put inside of my heart because God knows the plan that he has for me. And it's not one to harm me, but one to prosper me. Father, I pray. I pray for all of our campuses. I pray for these incredible folks. It's so easy to give up. It's so easy to blame others and never be transformed. It's so easy for me to only focus on myself and not build in to those who are around me while I'm going through this difficult situation. It's so easy to compare myself and my challenge to those who seem to be doing so much better. May we be transformed and then be used by you to transform others in our challenge so that we can ultimately live our purpose and accomplish our dream. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a hand. Can we do that? Awesome.